Good evening, everyone. I wonder, does anybody here recognize that feeling of guilt in the pit of your stomach when you've done something wrong? That nervous, nauseating feeling when all that feels good in your life drains out of your body, when you feel restless. Maybe your mouth is dry. Perhaps you're pacing up and down with absolutely no sense of peace. It's that moment when you know and accept that you've done something awful to someone. You've either done it on purpose or you've done it by accident. You really regret it. You desperately wish you could undo it. And you kind of know that a simple sorry is just not going to cut it. And do you also recognize that sting of injustice when you've been hurt really badly by someone? When you've been wronged and you actually don't care or want to know whether the person who hurt you is sorry, whether they feel full of regret, whether they're restless, whether they feel guilty. You are just plain angry and indignant and you're burning with a sense of deep sadness and hurt and an almost inbuilt desire to get them back, to make them pay for what they've done to you, or for at least for them to feel as badly as you do. I can put my hand up right now and say that I recognize both sets of these feelings pretty well. And that's because there have been times when each and every one of us here has needed to be forgiven, as in the case of the first set of feelings, and there have been times when each and every one of us here has needed to forgive, as in the second set of feelings I just described. Each one of us here has stood as someone who's been hurt one moment to being the one who's inflicting the hurt in the next moment. But the simple truth is, there is nothing that cannot be forgiven, and there is no one who is undeserving of forgiveness. We should all forgive because we all need to be forgiven. Forgiveness is a little bit like kitchen roll. Firstly, forgiveness wipes away the offense, much like kitchen roll wipes away a spillage on the kitchen top. Forgiveness says, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to measure you by this thing any longer. Like the spillage on the worktop in the kitchen, the kitchen roll wipes it away. It's just not there anymore. So it is with forgiveness. The offense still happened, but it no longer stands in the way of that relationship. The two parties are free from it. Secondly, forgiveness absorbs the offense. Just like the kitchen roll absorbs the spillage, when an offense has been committed, there is always a cost, whether that's a large cost or a small cost. If a friend comes around to my house and accidentally knocks over and smashes an irreplaceable vase that's of value to me, I have two choices. One, I can either blame them for my upset, for my hurt, and for my loss, and let it stand in the way of our future relationship. Or I can accept that the broken vase cannot be unbroken, forgive my friend, swallow the cost, and hope that she would forgive me if the shoe were on the other foot. One or other of the parties is always going to pay the cost, either the perpetrator or the victim. But it's only the victim who can free the perpetrator. 
And this is through the process of forgiveness. Now, I know this is a pretty light example that I'm using to illustrate the cost. Hopefully, it explains, though, that retaliation, however tempting, doesn't satisfy. If I were to choose to go round to my friend's house and smash one of her vases, it wouldn't in any way lessen the sting of the loss of my own vase. But I want to make it really clear, I'm not saying that the process of forgiveness is easy. Forgiveness in many cases is hard, it's painful, and it's costly. And often it takes a really long time and lots of effort and is completely life-changing. So we're going to take a look together tonight at what the Bible and Jesus say about forgiveness as we take a closer look at this passage within our series of the most widely shared Bible verses. Uh, the passage is on page 970 of your Bibles, and there is a sermon notes that you can do whatever with. So our passage falls within the wider discourse of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. It's slap bang in the middle of a series of lessons from Jesus on subjects ranging from anger, lust, divorce, to being anxious, and on how to pray. He lays out all the ingredients that should go into our prayers. He cuts to the very heart of what our prayer should look like. He gives them what we recognize today as the essentials of the Lord's Prayer. The first parts of the prayer deal with our acknowledging the glory of God. And the second part deals with our needs. And it's the needs part that we're going to particularly focus on tonight as we delve into forgiveness, what it means, how we need not only to receive it, but we need to give it. We will see that we need to forgive and be forgiven so much that we must ask for it just as we ask for our daily provisions. We must ask for it as we ask for our daily bread. So just for a moment or two, we're going to look really briefly at the structure and the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus opens the prayer with the word our. Straight away, this is an indicator that our prayers should not be selfish and that we pray as part of a community. He then teaches us to pray to our Father because we are invited to share in the intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. We too are his beloved children. We are reminded of God's sovereignty over the whole universe when we say the words in heaven and that he should be honoured and admired because of his hallowedness. We worship him because he is holy and because he is worthy. In asking for his kingdom to come, we acknowledge his kingship and we ask that we would submit to his plans for us and for the world, and we pray for his will and not ours. In asking for our daily bread, we ask not only for food, but all the things that sustain us in our life on a daily basis, recognizing that it is God who provides everything we need. He sustains us both physically and spiritually every day. And then we get to ask for forgiveness or sins, trespasses, debts, whichever version of the Bible you're reading. And we are to ask for forgiveness because our sin gets in the way of our relationships. It gets in the way with our relationship with God, and it gets in the way with our relationship with others. When we experience and understand forgiveness, we ourselves are in a better position to forgive. And here lies the condition to our being forgiven. In order for God to forgive us, we must forgive others. 
for we cannot receive what we are unwilling to give. Jesus makes this abundantly clear a bit further on in Matthew's Gospel in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus describes the kingdom of God to his disciples as being like a king who wants to settle his accounts with his servants. When one of his servants comes to him with a large debt that he can't possibly repay, the king takes pity on him, cancels the debt, instead of making him and his family sell all that they own to repay him. But the servant who received so much mercy had himself a debt to call in. And on discovering that his debtor didn't have the means to pay him, he doesn't take pity on him, but he actually tries to throttle him and has him thrown into prison. When the king hears of this through the indignation of his other servants, he is mortified and he has the servant that he had mercy upon thrown back in the jail to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed the king. You see, this parable really highlights the insincerity of praying for forgiveness when you yourself are unforgiving. I would like to say at this point, though, that forgiveness of others is not a condition of our justification. It's not a condition of God saving us from our sins and inviting us into an internal relationship with him, with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He did that once and for all on the cross. We are saved and we are justified when we come to believe in Jesus Christ in that very moment as the thief who was on the cross next to Jesus. He's promised eternity with Christ in that very moment that he believes. Jesus stands in our place and he absorbs our sin when we've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. Even the vilest offender in the 18th century hymn, To God Be the Glory, receives a pardon. The line goes like this. I'm not singing it. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. We sing these rousing words with abandon. But we struggle, don't we? I struggle with the idea of forgiving someone something greater than I have needed forgiveness for. We cry out, surely I can't forgive somebody that. That's unforgivable. So are there any instances that don't deserve forgiveness? The answer is always and unequivocally no. Some of the things that have been done to me in my life are quite big. And they may be worse than the offenses that I have committed against others. But where do I draw the line? And if I do draw a line, where do I stop? Murder, rape, violence, theft, fraud, driving without due care and attention, speeding, pulling out or crossing without looking, perverting the course of justice, driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs, not telling the truth. Eventually, I'm going to get to a place where I think it's okay not to forgive something, somebody something that I've done myself or something that I might do to somebody in the future. Jesus did not draw a line, and it's by his grace and mercy that I am forgiven. So why should I be able to say what isn't acceptable to forgive? Sin is sin. All of it separates us from God. And what about forgiving ourselves? 
I remember having the importance of forgiving myself pointed out to me in my early days of recovery from alcoholism in Alcoholics Anonymous. It all seemed too easy. How could I be forgiven for all the pain, all the misery, and all the worry and concern that my drinking and its consequences caused my family and my friends? But it wasn't easy, was it? What Jesus went through on the cross was not easy. When we can truly accept God's forgiveness, we can forgive ourselves. The respected Christian writer C.S. Lewis wrote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And as far as forgiving yourself, he wrote, If God forgives us, we must forgive ourselves. Otherwise, it's almost like setting ourselves as a higher tribunal than him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' words for those who are torturing him and who eventually crucify him in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. We forgive because Jesus forgave. He has commanded us to love our neighbours as ourselves. We are commanded to forgive as we would wish to be forgiven. If God doesn't, hold forgiveness, doesn't withhold forgiveness from us, how then can we withhold forgiveness from others? Forgiveness and forgiving somebody is not saying that it's okay to be betrayed, injured, violated, abused or hurt, but see it as an invitation to find healing and peace, an invitation to be freed and no longer chained to that one experience. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we have to forget or that there aren't consequences. The thief on the cross next to Jesus still died as a consequence of his actions. He lives in eternity due to his repentance. So how do we do it? How do we forgive? Firstly, we can know that we are made in God's image. It says so in Genesis 1. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the perfect example of humanness. And it is he who we follow. It was Jesus who went to the cross for us, Jesus who forgives us, and Jesus who promises us eternal life, an eternal relationship with him forever, right now. If we are made in his image, then it stands to reason that despite all the bad things we do, our essential nature is good. And it says this in Genesis 1. If our essential nature wasn't good, then we wouldn't be so affronted when we were wronged. So although you can look at the world and see it as a place of revenge and, a place of revenge and retaliation, we can also recognize on a deeper level that forgiveness is the only way to peace and harmony. Whose hearts aren't lifted when they hear a story about reconciliation and forgiveness. So just take a look at this sculpture from the Burning Man Festival in the United States. It shows two adults sitting with their backs to each other after a disagreement. But the inner child in both of them, and we could see these as, as the uh, perpetrator and the victim in our forgiveness cycle, both of these inner children, they want to connect this is the forgiving and free spirit that is present by nature in all of us. We can know in our hearts that we are wired 
for forgiveness. Secondly, we can look to the Bible. It is completely littered with stories of redemption, reconciliation, and forgiveness. Look at the Apostle Paul, the once torturer and murderer of Christians, the author of a huge chunk of the New Testament. Or the Apostle Peter, on whom Jesus built his church, who betrayed Jesus not once, but three times. Forgiveness is understanding that every single one of us is deeply good, but also deeply flawed. That in every situation, however hopeless, there's always, through Christ, the opportunity for transformation. And finally, we can pray. Sometimes I can forgive in my head, but not in my heart. Other times I forgive one minute, and in the next, I take it straight back again. But really, once we are willing and generally pointing in the right direction, we can ask God to give us what we need to forgive. We are called to forgive. They're always reiterating at Vicar College that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. A statement that never fails to make me feel good about my inadequacies when I hear it. But look at what that statement is saying. It's saying that God will provide us with all that we need to forgive if we are willing. We are called to participate in the gospel message, a message that is forgiveness for the past, a message that offers new life today and promises real and true hope for the future. If the world was to accept, God, accept God's forgiveness, forgive themselves and then forgive others, the whole world would be reconciled and restructured. Such is the power and need for forgiveness in this world. So we can start today because every small step we take towards forgiveness is a step closer to peace. So can I say, if you don't know Jesus yet and you want to, or you're yet to experience God's forgiveness in your life and you want to, can I urge you to come and speak to either me or Richard after the service? Or you can go and pray with one of our prayer ministers who will be praying on either side of the church after the service. And they would love to pray with you about anything, anything that's come up in this talk, anything that's come up in this service, or anything that's going on with you uh, at the moment. And I'm just going to end by saying a prayer. It's written by Desmond Tutu, and it's taken from a book that he wrote with his daughter, uh, a book called The Book of Forgiving. It's a superb book. Um, I highly recommend it. It's called The Prayer Before the Prayer. I want to be willing to forgive, but I dare not ask for the will to forgive, in case you give it to me. And I am not yet ready. I am not yet ready for my heart to soften. I am not yet ready to be vulnerable again not yet ready to see that there is humanity in my tormentor's eyes, or that the one who hurt me may also have cried. I'm not yet ready for the journey. I'm not yet interested in the path. I'm at the prayer before the prayer of forgiveness. Grant me the will to want to forgive. Grant it to me, not yet, but soon. Can I even form the words, forgive me? Dare I even look? 
Do I dare to see the hurt I have caused? I can glimpse all the shattered pieces of that fragile thing, that soul trying to rise on the broken wings of hope, but only out of the corner of my eye. I am afraid of it. And if I am afraid to see, how can I not be afraid to say, forgive me? Is there a place where we can meet, you and me, the place in the middle, the no-man's land, where we straddle the lines, where you are right and I am right too, and both of us are wrong and wronged? Can we meet there and look for the place where the path begins, the path that ends when we forgive? Amen.